to give us your word, Lord. I pray that you have prepared our hearts and our minds to receive that. In your name we pray, amen. 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 Good morning. Hey, welcome to uh, Sierra Bible Church. If uh, you're new here this morning and I haven't had the opportunity to meet you uh, yet, my name is Jesse. I'm part of the pastoral team here. I uh, want to welcome you and just uh, let you know that you are uh, prayed for. We pray for people to come check us out and, and, uh, and especially those who don't know Jesus. We appreciate uh, those of you who are inquiring and seeking and trying to find out who Jesus is and, and we pray for you. So we're just really glad that you're here. Um, thank you for se- the, the, several of you. Uh, that were patient with the parking process this morning. I noticed uh, it got backed up, and a couple of people made comments on how full it is, and that's a good thing, just so you know, that, that, that people come to church. It's a great thing. So, hey, if you are new, we want to connect with you, and the way that uh, we do that is we ask you to visit our, our little info booth right out here. It tells you all about who we are as a church. It lets you know what events we have, and, and it gives you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself, and then uh, if you do that, we give you a free gift. We've got a, a book for you, a free cup of coffee from our coffee shop. And so if you're new, that's your first step. Go there, connect, uh, introduce yourself, and they'll give you some information uh, about us. And then um, a couple things of business um, uh, that I want to highlight. And while I do that, I want the guys to hand out the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible this morning, just raise your hand, and one of these guys would love to hand you uh, a Bible. And for those of you who do have your Bible whether it be digital or paper, uh, would you please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? <clears throat> a couple things I want to highlight here. One is, one of the things that we've done really well in community is we bless uh, the, uh, a family with a baby shower when they've had their first child as part of uh, Sierra Bible Church. And I don't know if you guys have had an opportunity to meet Jeff and Melissa Camp, uh, but they've been coming to our church uh, since wintertime. And uh, they're going to be having a little baby girl here soon. So when is she due? August 20th. August 20th. So we want to bless them. This is Melissa over here and her husband, Jeff. Great family. Got a beautiful little daughter named Ava. And uh, w- would love for you to introduce yourself to them if you get an opportunity. But we're going to do a baby shower for them. So ladies, if you're interested in that, that's July 29th. That's for the ladies. If you show up as a dude, it's okay. It's a little weird. But you can come. Uh, 6.30 p.m. And there is childcare available, so I want to make you aware of that. And then we also have our um, Holy Hoedown coming up this Friday. There's already over 50 people who are signed up, and so, which is pretty incredible. That's 50, 50 people who most likely don't know how to dance in one room, eating together and hanging out together. So if you uh, would like to come, you can still sign up. We're going to feed you. We're going to dance. We've got a collar. I think it's called a collar or something like that, right? Is it on there? says caller, yeah. That, that, that's a white person problem. Someone has to tell you what to do next when you dance, okay? Um, so we want to invite you to come to that. Even if, uh, hey, you're single and you want to bring someone, great, great time to, to invite somebody. And then um, in a couple weeks' time, we have our church picnic. And so what we do is on August 4th, that Sunday, if you show up here, we won't be here. We do one big church gathering between both services. We feed you. We got tri-tip for you uh, and some just really good food, great fellowship. We also do some worship down there, a short little message. Uh, and then it's a good time for us to do baptisms. We, we do baptisms throughout the whole year, uh, but this is a good time that sometimes people hold out for uh, to, uh, to be baptized. And, and, and baptism is a public proclamation that you believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And it's a commandment that Christ gives us, and I'll share a little bit uh, about this in the message this morning, but it's a commandment that Christ gives us to proclaim to the world what Jesus has done. So a couple weeks ago, to, to, as an example of what we don't do, someone called and they said, hey, I'm staying over at the hotel, and this is in the middle of the week. They called the office and said, I'm staying at a hotel, and I've got, I just got the feeling that I need to be baptized. And so Wayne had a conversation with him about, what baptism is. And we basically said, you know, hey, we can't baptize you because you should be doing that in front of a group of people, not privately with just a pastor, but in front of people. And so if, as you grow in your faith, I'm praying and hoping you would hear that conviction from the Lord and that you would make that public proclamation to your church uh, and to the world. So if you are interested in that, contact the office. We'll write down your name. You can let me know after the service if you want, and you can be baptized on, um, on that Sunday. Uh, pretty amazing thing. I actually mentioned, <clears throat> I have mentioned on several occasions, you know, when we pray for uh, revival and we pray for, for more people 
to be introduced to Jesus Christ, one of the things that I have said is that typically what happens with revival, when you study revival and history, it first and foremost doesn't happen with just people outside the church getting saved. It happens with people in the church who thought they were saved actually getting saved. Let me repeat that. It starts with people in the church who've always thought they were saved actually getting saved. Then it starts to trickle out into the rest of the world and more people get saved. And what's really interesting is one of the gals that's going to get baptized in August, she grew up here as part of this church. She's been married for, for several years. She's got four kids, and she's always considered herself a Christian. And she's a major part of our family in, in many ways, and so is her family. And she actually was meeting with another pastor uh, out of the area, and she had an awakening, and she came to the realization that all of her, her whole life that she did not really have a real, genuine, saving faith. This is a lady who called herself a Christian and now has said that she's had a revival as, as a Christian. And so she contacted me this last week, and she said, she said to me, I need to talk to you about baptism. I believe that when I was baptized, I did it, and I wasn't really saved. Do I need to be baptized again? And I shared with her that baptism is a proclamation for those who believe. So indeed, if she was baptized previously as a non-believer, it didn't count. And so we, we need to dunk her again. Uh, and so um, even if she's the only one we baptized on that Sunday, it's a pretty amazing testimony uh, for someone who grew up in the church to, to realize, oh, my goodness. And, and in fact, it, it happened with her and her sister. And her husband told me, I said, well, what's it been like since she said that she's you know, become a Christian, like even though she grew up in the church, she's been part of the church. And he said, it feels like I'm married to a different woman. And I said, is that a good thing? <clears throat> and he said, yes, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. So pretty neat. Um, so those are your kind of announcements. And then one point of, uh, of great praise, I think, is this last week we had um, Vacation Bible School. Uh, we did it for four days. We had over 120 kids that registered and went through the program. Uh, if you volunteered in that program, would you stand so we could honor you and just say thank you to some of the volunteers that are here this morning? <clears throat> Amazing job. Uh, appreciate it. Um, just an incredible week. Lots of energy. I want to share with you uh, a pretty neat story. We have a family uh, that lives uh, out of the area part-time, and they live here part-time. And, um, and they've got two grandsons, and their grandsons, their, their grandkids, they don't, they, they don't know Jesus, and their parents don't know Jesus. And so, and they've, they've kind of made it pretty pretty evident to the parents, to the kids, that we don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe in, in what your, your uh, grandparents believe. <clears throat> well, during VBS, both of the grandparents volunteered this last week, and by God's grace, they had the grandkids the entire week. So the grandkids are part of VBS, and, and the grandfather said, hey, you know, one of the kids, he's, you know, he's, he's pretty, he's pretty, you know, got an attitude. He said, I don't know if you noticed. We were with him one night when I was, and I prayed over our meal. He said, I don't know if you noticed, but when you prayed, he was looking at you like this the whole time. Kind of like, you know, whatever, dude, kind of a look, right? And, uh, and so they were here this week, hearing the love of Jesus, being loved on by our volunteers. And, uh, and I texted the, the grandfather, said, hey, listen, um, what'd they think of the first, the first day? And he responded with, they loved the games and they loved the crafts and just left it at that, you know, and I kind of figured, you know, that's real typical, you know, they probably don't understand what's happening or occurring, and, and at least they love the games, and that's great. The next day, he texts me and says, hey, you didn't ask me about the kids, and, and I said, okay, well, I don't think I responded, but let me share with you what happened. Here's what happened. He said, the next day on that Tuesday, one of the kids was at home asking their step-grandmother about how to navigate the Bible, how to find books in the Bible, and so she's sitting down with him, teaching him how to look at the Bible, and they got these bracelets with verses on them, which entails the whole gospel. And so he's asking, well, tell me about the gospel. This is back at home. While the other one is walking around the house singing the VBS song, this is what we were created for, okay? <laughs> that is incredible. And, and because, because of uh, VBS, those kids got to hear Jesus and have a, a real positive experience because of our volunteers. I just got to say this too. I have to say, Brad Knoll, who runs the program, is so dialed in 
and such a blessing to our church. He, he did an incredible job organizing, administrating, pouring into the volunteers, pouring into the kids. And so I just think we've got to give Brad a big round of applause for being amazing. <clears throat> So, uh, and I'll just, I'll just say this, in, in all honesty, you know, being here um, during the week, you know, I, I don't participate in volunteering. I have things that I'm doing in the office and stuff, but I had the opportunity to come outside and, and mingle with the teachers and mingle with the volunteers. And, and just to be a witness, to be a participant, and just in that way, uh, is just phenomenal. I just want to encourage you, when we do these kind of outreach events, you got you to gotta volunteer, you got to plug in, and, and not because we need your help but because it will increase your faith. You will be able to be a part of something that's amazing and neat, and God wants to invite you into the process. So uh, just want to encourage you uh, with that. Um, you know what I didn't do in the first service? And uh, I'll hold off till next service, so, because they're not in the room right now. Um, and you don't know what I'm talking about? It's just a secret, okay? <laughs> we'll do it next week. I have to communicate with them. Um, the title of this morning's message is The Edible Sermon. And uh, what, what we're doing this morning is once a month, the first, usually the first Sunday of the month, which isn't the case this week, uh, we participate in communion uh, with one another. And uh, every now and then it's important, I think, for us to just take time to, to go through the lesson of communion, what communion is, and, and what it means to us. And so my goal this morning is, is to increase your faith and increase your joy in participating in what communion is. And if you don't know what communion is, this is a great Sunday for you because you'll, you'll learn what communion is. And so the passage we're going to read from this morning, as I mentioned, is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. And of course, those of you who are here regularly, you know we love God's word, we honor God's word. Would you please stand with me <clears throat> as we read from it? Verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Now, let me just, a few bits of commentary here. One, notice Paul, who's correcting the Corinthian church. This church at the time had an incredible amount of struggles and, and things that they were doing wrong. And Paul's actually saying, he's saying, you come together as a church, it's actually not for the better because of the divisions and the issues that were amongst them. So he says, hey, I do not commend you when you come together because it's not for the better, but it's actually for the worse. He explains further, verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. They're complaining, they're griping, they're fighting. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So he actually now says here, that the factions and the divisions that occur in the church actually have a way of showing who has true faith and who does not have true faith. That, that when you fight with somebody, it reveals who you really are. He goes on and says, verse 20, when you come together, is, not the Lord's su- it is, not the, is it not the Lord's supper that you eat? For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have, who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Father, as we enter into this sermon, into this message from your word, I pray, Lord, that we would not envision, if you will, the reality in which we are in, sitting in rows, shoulder to shoulder, facing a man who is attempting to proclaim the word, but rather, Lord, we are face to face, sitting at a table, 
dining with you as the head of the table, eating with you and you sharing with us your goodness and your love. We trust you for that true spiritual reality. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Um, so I want to link, I want to do kind of three things. One is I want to talk about how communion is rooted in the past and, and what it means for us presently and what it echoes for us into the future. When we practice the drinking of the cup and the breaking of the bread, the eating of the actual morsel, we first and foremost are doing something that is rooted in the past. And what I mean by that is, is this, is that communion didn't start in the New Testament. It didn't start actually when, when Jesus broke the bread and the wine. It started way back in what is called Passover. At Passover, we, what the Jews celebrated was that the reality that Moses came on behalf of God, and as he proclaimed that God declared that, that the people would be freed from uh, from Pharaoh, that they'd be freed from their slavery, freed from their work. And Moses comes on behalf of God and says, the great I am says to you, free my people, let them go. And Pharaoh refuses to listen because there's a lot of money on the line. Things are being built and the slaves mean money for him. And it means rule and power and prestige. And so, so he says no. And, and he says no over and over again. God sends all of these different plagues to show Pharaoh, I am God. Pharaoh explains all of them away up until the final plague. And the final plague, God declares, he says, I'm going to send the angel of the Lord through the camp, and every firstborn of every family is going to die, unless, and he goes to God's people, Moses does, says, listen, this is God's deal, this is what he's going to do. Uh, he, says, he says to them, take the blood of a lamb, put it on the top of the doorpost and on the sides of the doorpost, a picture, if you will, of the cross. Place that blood there, and when the angel of the Lord passes through, and to take the firstborn, he will pass over that home. And that family will experience the grace of God, not the judgment of God. And like manner then, what happened is Israel celebrated, once they came out of slavery, all the way up until Jesus' day, they celebrated every year the Passover supper, the Passover of the Lamb, which is to celebrate the reality that, that, that God did not put judgment on his people, but graced his people. Now at the New Testament, in the New Testament, when Jesus sits down with his disciples on the night before his death on what is called Monday Thursday, he sits with his disciples at a table and he tells them everything that you've been celebrating for the last several hundred years points to me. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm the bread of life. And then he takes the bread and he says, you know, you know the bread that you celebrated for the Passover? That's actually about me. You know the blood that passes over? That's actually me. So that now in the New Testament, we see we, see we need freedom from a, a kind of Pharaoh. We need freedom from the world, freedom from the oppression and the grip that society and culture puts on us. And through Jesus' blood, he passes over our sins, forgives us of our iniquities, and reconciles us back to God the Father. Communion defined by one author is like this. It says, we believe that the Lord's supper is an ordinance of the Lord in which gathered believers eat bread, signifying Christ's body given for his people, and drink the cup of the Lord, signifying the new covenant in Christ's blood. We do this in remembrance of the Lord and thus proclaim his death until he comes. Those who eat and drink in a worthy, man in a worthy manner partake of Christ's body and blood, not physically but spiritually, and that by faith they are nourished with the benefits of he obtained through his, his death and thus grow in grace. So let me, let me just put it this way. Did I lose? I being connected with God in community, and we grow in grace because of that participation. We participate with Jesus in such a way that we grow in favor and grace. It, when we think of the past in regards to communion, there are, there are at least four ways or four words that are used to describe communion. One of them, one of them is the word communion itself. 
When that word is used to describe what we are about to partake in, it is calling us to put an emphasis on the fellowship and communion that we have with God and each other in Jesus Christ. So as I stated, it, it is like us sitting down at the dinner table with the God of the world, the maker of heaven and earth, and we are participating in a conversation with him, but we're also participating in a conversation with one another. One author says it like this, communion is God's communication to us, coupled with our response to him, in which he is glorified and we are glad. This is the end in which we were created, to be glad. So Here's something that's really interesting if you ever study humanity and cultures. Every culture throughout all of history, throughout all of mankind, has always shared in one reality, and that is building relationships over food. Is this not true? Every culture does it. They might do it a little differently. Some might sit down on their knees. Some sit at tables. In Jesus' day, they laid down next to each other. They actually had a table on the floor. And they would lay down on their side, which was to help with digestion. And every now and then after eating, they just kind of roll over and cuddle with one another. That's what John says. I, the one who laid on Jesus' breast at the dinner table. There's all kinds of different ways that we sit down and commune. But, but the reality is, is that relationships are built, are built over a meal. And Jesus says, he says, not only, not only am I uh, the host of this meal, I am the meal. And we are participating together in a way in which we are glad, right? There is really nothing more spectacular, more memorable than sitting down with family members at the table, having a good meal and good conversation and good laughter, right? It's, it's a beautiful thing. J.C. Ryle goes on to say it like this, he that eats the bread and drinks the wine in a right spirit will find himself drawn closer in communion with Christ and will feel to know him more and understand him better. So the first emphasis of communion is it's us sitting down with Jesus. That's why I prayed, don't, don't picture in your mind that you're sitting in rows facing me. Rather, picture at the moment we're at a dinner table sharing a meal, which is, leads us to the second name that is often used, which is the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. Here, we're putting an emphasis on celebrating the fact that he is the host of the table, and he is the Lord of the table. He himself instituted this practice, and we are following the practice. We have made him the ultimate host. We are in his home, right? He's God. We're the created. He's the creator. He guides, and he directs us. Now, if you're a recovering Catholic, you'll remember this word, the Eucharist. The Eucharist isn't some big flashy religious word that, that means what the Catholics mean it to believe. It means rather thanksgiving. That when we partake in communion, we are showing our gratitude, our joyful gratitude and celebration for God's work for us, in us and through us, in spite of us. So how many of you have either raised your children or are currently raising children? You, you will know, we will share in the reality that mealtime with young children does not embody the kind of thankfulness that we would like to have. <laughs> Most of the time, at some point, one of my four children will declare to my wife what they are unhappy about eating. Or, that, I mean, in all seriousness, sometimes my kids will take two bites and go, I'm full. Well, you're not full. You need to eat more. I don't want to eat more. Yes, you do. And now again, we're in that hostage negotiation deal. Please, dear God, eat something. Because we know what will happen. They'll get up at 10 o'clock at night and say they're hungry. Right? There's an ingratitude. And then, and then, and then you, you'll do these things as parents that you hated that, that your parents did. Right? You remember, remember being a kid and saying, I will never do what my parents did to me. And you'll have those little stupid cliche sayings. You, you get what you get and you don't throw fit. And in that moment, I feel like, yeah, you get what you get, you don't throw a fit. And then I'll hear myself say it out loud, I'm like, you are a dork, you command no authority. That kid's not going to listen to you. This is not the time for us to complain about the meal that, that has been provided to us in Christ. This is a time to celebrate the reality that he's given us the best food possible, himself. 
Another word that's used is sacrament, which just literally means that it is holy and it is set apart. Now, again, if you're a recovering Catholic, you know the Catholic Church has a whole slew of what is considered sacraments, that which is holy, that which is set apart, that which must be participated in often and frequently to the point where many Catholics don't fully understand what they're doing. Now, I'm not saying that to just to beat up on the Catholic Church. I'm saying it as a reality of what happens within that kind of culture. When you set up sacraments in such a way where you practice them and you forget their meaning. And that's why we say, when we say we stand for the reading of God's word, it's not a sacrament, but we mention it a lot why we do it. We do it because we love God and we do it because we love his word and we want to honor it. And we do specific things that show honor and separation. We, we set them aside, right? Thanksgiving loses its meaning if you eat turkey every day. You with me? But if you explain at least once a year why we eat turkey, why we do it, and if the same way, why do we participate in communion? What is a sacrament? What is set apart? The Protestant church, which is still protesting Rome and saying, it isn't about all the sacraments. It isn't, it isn't about the idols. It isn't about paying the priest. It isn't about sitting down and confessing to a priest. No, no, no. It's not about that. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God given to us as a free meal. And when we do that, the, the Protestant church has said, in protest, we actually only have two sacraments because it's the only sacraments that we see in Scripture. Sacrament number one, baptism. It's holy and it's set apart, a declaration to your friends and your family in the world that Jesus has died on behalf of your sins. And, and communion, which is us getting together at the Lord's table, participating in a meal with God himself. This is an incredible meal. That's how it's rooted into the past. Presently, communion, Eucharist, the Lord's table, the sacrament, whatever you call it, Presently, it has at least five meanings for us presently. Number one, it reminds us of his dramatic death in our place for our sins. It says it here in the, in the text. Jesus said it when he sat down with his disciples. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you look there, verse 25, in the same way he took the cup, And as it goes on, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I have have paid for this meal with my blood. And one of the things that he's saying here, which is really interesting, is, is if you were ever to evangelize someone of the Jewish faith, they practice Judaism, here's a tip. Never call the Old Testament to them the Old Testament. You want to know why? It's not old to them. It's not old. And the Old Testament, just so you're aware, it doesn't mean old in the sense that, that it's, it's, it's completely futile and completely worthless. It's, it's literally meaning, we call it the Testament, it's the Old Covenant. And what we call in the Gospels from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all the way to Revelation is the New Covenant. And when we call it that, when we recognize communion, we're recognizing a new covenant that we have in Christ. We are no longer bound by the old covenant. And you want to know why that's really good news? Because if you were bound by the old covenant, no one in this room would be allowed to eat lobster or bacon. That's a travesty. So Jesus decided to fix that for all of humanity. And he came up with the new covenant. <laughs> there's, there's promises in the old covenant that don't necessarily apply to you. And that is a good thing because the promises you have in the new covenant of Jesus Christ written by his blood and his death and his resurrection are far superior than the old. And this is where Peter, Peter's actually in Acts. If you remember the book of Acts, the church is thriving and growing. Peter's at his house and God sends a blanket to Peter in a vision and it's filled with creepy crawly things that in the old covenant he's not supposed to eat. And it comes down on a blanket from heaven. And God says to Peter, eat. And Peter says, no, I am am a religious, practicing Jew. I know Jesus is who he is, and I believe in Jesus. But he still was holding on to his legalism and to trying to earn a right relationship with God to a certain degree. 
So he said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna eat those things. Typical kind of Peter attitude. And then Jesus says, Peter, don't call that which is clean unclean. I've made it clean. Do you know how Jesus has made these things clean for us? Through his death and his resurrection. The new covenant, also, this is on the list here, but to give it to you a little earlier, uh, the new covenant proclaims participating in communion proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Communion is totally evangelical, missional, if you will, in nature. It proclaims. Look at 1 Corinthians verse 26 of chapter 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is such a serious deal. So number one, the the missional one, if you're taking notes, I'm totally bouncing around. That's number five. That's point five. Um, So if you're taking notes, just skip a few lines. Number one, it reminds us of his dramatic death. Number five, it is missional. Number two, however, is that it calls us as Christians, it calls us, it compels us to examine ourselves and repent of any sin that is in us. If you notice, it says in verse 27, of 1 Corinthians 11, whoever therefore eats the bread, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And then it goes on and he says in verse 28, let a person therefore examine himself. What communion does is it brings us into a place where we have to look at our own lives before we eat this meal, before we sit down with the Lord of hosts of this meal and examine our hearts to see what sin may exist within us. There's a couple key points in this, okay? These are really important. Number one, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean if you have sin, don't partake in communion. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean if you have sin, you don't partake. What it means is if you are unrepentant in your attitude towards your sin, you are not to participate in this meal. He says, actually, if you do so, you are heaping judgment upon yourself. If you look at the text, look at how it reads here. Verse 30. Because many were eating without repenting of their sin, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. He says, listen, if you're a Christian and you come sit down with Jesus and act like it's all good, you're lying to God. Do you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? See, Ananias and Sapphira, at the time, everyone in the church was giving up everything that they had for everyone in the church. It was like everyone, everyone had everyone else's interest in mind. And Ananias and Sapphira sell a big piece of land, and they give a portion of it, and they kept a portion of it. The issue wasn't that they gave a portion of it and kept a portion of it. The issue was that they communicated as if they gave all of it to the Lord, but they they secretly kept the finances for themselves. The issue wasn't that they gave it and kept it. That's not a problem. Just be honest with it. Be open with it. I'm giving what I can to the Lord. I'm giving what I want to give to God. This is where I'm at, but we're keeping some for ourselves. If they would have done that, I think they would have been okay. Rather, the issue was that they gave it and they, they proclaimed to, to God himself as well as to the church, well, we're way more generous than we really are. The reason that they fell on that day is because they acted in, 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 in such a way that they were presenting something that they really weren't. So when you come and participate in communion, when it says examine yourself, it's examining yourself and saying, okay, God, what is it I need to deal with? And just like when you get sick, you go to the doctor and you go get well. But in order to get well, you have to admit you're sick. So it's the admitting part and being willing to be healed of it. Here's what else it means. It means that if you're in the room this morning and you're one of our friends that have come to inquire about who Jesus is, you're here because somebody invited you because they love you and you decided to come. You're here because you know what, there's something wrong in your life. That happens. In all honesty, it happens very frequently. There's a brokenness, a chip, a fracture inside your heart. And so you come to a church like this, and you're hoping to hear something that will heal you and connect you and fix you. And if that's you this morning, the Bible would say, listen, if you haven't yet proclaimed that Christ is your Savior, you shouldn't participate either. But let's be clear on this. When the Bible says that it, that it is missional, that you are proclaiming his death until he comes, he's saying to anyone in the room and anyone else who'd be listening to this message out of curiosity, 
He's saying to them, look at the dinner table and know you're invited. Know that, that, that God wants to make room for you at the table. And see, when we talk about communion, this, again, is point five, as being missional, we talk about it being evangelical in its tone, it's us proclaiming to those in the room who aren't Christians, we want you to come eat with us. We want you to be a part of this table. Would you, would you make a proclamation of faith? Would you hear the invitation of Jesus to the dinner table and come sit with us at the table and be equals with us as sinner and saint kind of combined as one? One of the things my family does really well every holiday season is they invite people who don't know Jesus to Thanksgiving and to dinner. I was reading a blog this week of a gal who said in her, in her uh, blog, she, she had said that when she comes to church, one of the points she had, and it might have even been the title of the, the, the blog that week, why my husband and I don't sit together at church, which is kind of eye-catching. Why would someone come to church and not sit with their wife? And we would look at that and go, wait a minute, what, what, what's wrong with you guys? Are you fighting? And she said, the reason is because they know that the proclamation of the gospel, and this was all, this is really the message of Ruth, bringing outsiders to be insiders. She said, we know by splitting up, we can actually reach more people. And so we split up so we can actually engage with more people. And there are weeks where they come together and they do the same. And then she said this, that her husband and I have a saying, someone alone at church is an emergency. And what she said was, she said, she says, you know, we know that Jesus wants outsiders as insiders. And she said, you know, um, when we see someone sitting down and they're flipping through the bulletin, we know they're new. You want to know why they're new? Because those of you who come every week, if you're honest, you don't even look at the bulletin. And, and I know that because every single week someone will say, I didn't know that event was happening. What was in the bulletin? Oh, I didn't look at the bulletin. It was on the webpage. Oh, I didn't go to the webpage. Well, you know, we sent it out on a newsletter we send out every week. Oh, yeah, I didn't open that email. Well, you know what was on Facebook? Oh, I gave up social media. You know what was on Instagram? Um, nope. <laughs> you know I mentioned it on a Sunday? Yeah, I think I came late that Sunday. Would you just look at your bulletin every now and then? Just save us all some trouble. And so the reason I say that is because... In, this is an internal thing, and I like, to, I like sometimes to share internally the way we think back here. This, you, some of you don't even know this. This is where our offices are. It's the Holy of Holies. There's a grail back there. And, and internally, we, we talk about these kind of things because they matter to us. We think, we think and believe, we are convinced and convicted that these things matter to God. A lot of what we do as a church isn't for those of you who come every week. You already have a seat at the table, and we are pumped about it, and we are stoked about it. But we do things for when someone has never sat at the table. We think that through. If they've never sat at the table, what, what would they look at? What matters to them? A new person is so, it's funny to say it, you're not looking at your bulletin, but new people do. If you've never been to a church, even if you visit another church, you come here every week, you visit another church, I guarantee you, you look at their bulletin. If you went next week, you probably wouldn't, but the first week, you would. And you'd pick up on all the nuances. What's this church about? What kind of events do they have? What kind of staff do they have? You ask all of these kind of questions, and then you might even visit. You're just right there in your seat all alone. And now imagine you're not connected. You're not at the table. Someone in the church who knows Jesus, who was once an outsider, who's now an insider, sees you sitting down, and they come next to you, and they invite you into a strange relationship of conversation, which it is a little strange. It's a little difficult, but it's not super awkward. You're thankful. Right? When, we say, when we say you should come and participate in things like VBS because you get to be a part of God's work, when we talk about engaging people who are not engaged, we're talking about being part of the great work of God, which is saving people who are unsaved. If we're not about that, we should not exist. That's his mission. And communion, it tells us, is a proclamation of God's goodness. Number three. Let me review if you're taking notes. Number one, it reminds us of his dramatic death in our place, the new covenant. Number two, it compels us to examine ourselves. And number three, it shows unity and community and intimacy, unity, community, and intimacy of God's people around the work of Jesus Christ. It brings us into unity as a church. Right? It's... It should not be that we sit down at the table with our brothers and sisters 
and have animosity towards one another. Brad Beers talked about that a few weeks ago. Right? It, it, it's a reminder that we sit at the table, we've got to be in right relationship, we, we, we examine our own hearts, we have to be in right relationship with Jesus, and we, we have to be in right relationship with one another. Amen? Okay, you have to say amen. You have to. And then when you say it, you then have an obligation to do whatever you can do to be at peace with all of the people that are proclaiming Christians. You, you have an obligation to be sharing grace with people because you've examined your heart and Jesus has already given you grace. The way we like to say it, you will only give people the amount of grace that you currently are aware of that you need. You understand what I'm saying? How many of you this morning are in need of amazing grace? Oh, man, I'm glad that many of you raised your hands. And because you have, and here's the good news, when we participate in this meal, we're reminded that he's given us that grace. He is the meal himself. Because he has done that, now you, you have to. You don't have a choice. You have to give other people grace. You have to. Because when you don't, you're proclaiming to God, your grace isn't sufficient for me. You with me? It reminds us to be unified. It, it says it here in the text, when you gather as a church, when you come together, partake in this. Number four, number four, communion anticipates with joy our future participation in the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the part that attaches our, uh, us to, to the future, right? We talked about how it's rooted in the past. We've been sharing how it impacts us right now. And this is the part where it points us towards the future that what we're doing when we participate in this meal is just a little appetizer preparing us for the marriage feast of the Lamb. This is an appetizer. John Fram says, i skip ahead here since we lost our power. Um, we eat only little bits of bread and drink little cups of wine. For we know that our fellowship with Christ and this life cannot begin to compare with the glory that awaits us in him. If you remember the great prophecy in Isaiah 25, 6, listen to the description of what this, this appetizer points us to in the future. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people, this is Isaiah 25, 6, will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the people, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken... It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Does that sound like a party you want to go to? Do you want to not only be invited to the appetizer, but invited to the, to the feast? He actually repeats himself several different times. It's a feast of rich food. I don't know what rich food is. Sounds expensive. Sounds tasty. I like my protein, sign me up. I want to be at that feast. The Bible, we've said this before in the past, the Bible describes feasting in heaven, the joy of heaven, he who is the bread of life, that it is literally the marriage supper of the lamb. It, it, is, it is a marriage supper. That's what that meal is described like. And the deal is, is every, every day, I am sure, in heaven itself, we will gather around God himself as a community, as a family, we'll be interconnected in a way that we could never think or imagine. We'll be glad and we'll be glorifying the Lord. That's the reality of what communion and our life with Jesus is, that we would glorify God in everything that we do. Wayne said to me after the first message, I believe that Jesus was glorified in the message. That's what we want. We want Jesus to be glorified. And as Jesus is glorified, the end result is our gladness. We feel full. We feel satiated. We feel happy. There is an emotion there. And sometimes Christianity does, does itself a disservice when it tries to disconnect the cerebral from the emotional. Christianity is not just about the intellect, and it's not just about the heart. It's about both. And if you get into a church that's all cerebral, you've been there, I'm sure, 
boy, you know, everything's really true, but it's like eating dry toast, right? You're in service, and you're like, that's really, uh... <laughs> there's a few of you here this morning. And on the other end, on the other end, you have, you have what's all heart, right? You got the people just, I just want to love Jesus, man. They don't have the truth. They don't have, they don't have the doctrine. They don't, they're not rooted in reality because, man, they just love the Lord. And sometimes they can do more, more, more harm than good. And we love those Christians because they go out and do stuff, right? This group over here is like, let's do more classes, right? And this group over here is like, let's just run around the streets and, and we'll, we'll preach from the street and we'll, we'll stand on a stool. We'll see who comes to heaven. We'll get into arguments. You understand what I'm saying? And then somewhere in the middle... There's God who's saying, be rooted in truth, be rooted in reality, be rooted in what God has declared in his word, but let your heart scream of the goodness of Jesus. Let your emotion be real. Let your worship be tangible. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I sit in the back and I watch this worship and I'm like, we're just cerebral. Like our, It's okay to let your emotion go. What we're singing is true, and you can, you can do one of these things. You know what one of these things are? I don't know what it is, but it's okay to do it. It's okay to do this. We need a caller. We need a caller. Yeah. We need a caller. It's, it's been a little while since Brad Beers has done worship, but if you see Brad Beers up here on a guitar, man, he's not only doing the notes, he's involved in it physically as well as mentally. That's the best part of Christianity. When you, when you find the beautiful tension of, of the intellect and the truth and the preaching of God's word and the reality that, that some of us this morning may need to be repenting of certain sins that exist in our lives. We're going to get that here in a moment. We're going to get the opportunity to repent of things that are not God-glorifying, things that are life-stealing. At the same time, as we know those things to be true, it's okay to feel them in your heart and have emotion. We're both, not one or the other. And then number five, I gave it to you earlier, it's missional, extremely missional. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want um, our, uh, our leaders to come forward, and they're going to hand out communion to you. So um, if you'd come on up, and then uh, I need a couple more leaders here, I'm trying to see if I have any. Do I have any more leaders? <laughs> There's John. Thank you, Mr. Beige. Oh, Brad, there you are, right in front of me. You changed seats. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Um, here's what I'm going to do. As the worship team comes up and they just give us a little background music, part of what I stated this morning is that communion is an opportunity for reflection. And, and before I, I go there, can you go to the, my next step slide real quick before you go there? These are in your program, too. I've been trying to do these for you each week. This week and right now, I mean, this is some of this you can do now. One is take time to feed on Jesus through prayer and the reading of the scripture and ask God what to reveal in your heart you need to repent of. Some of you need to do that now. And, and repentance, when you partake, it's just you, it's you turning away. It's you recognizing it's wrong, and it's you at, at the very least saying, God, I have a heart to fix it. I do have a heart for it. I know it's hard. I know it's gripping, whatever that sin might be. But God, I do want to change. That's what repentance is. It's a heart of, a heart of confession a heart of contrition and the heart, I want to change. I want to, I want to move in the right direction. So consider that. And then next Sunday, remember I said communion is in part, it's, it's connecting each other with us. So next Sunday, I'm just giving you the challenge to sit somewhere different. <laughs> Someone said, good luck. Brad already did it this week. So kudos to Brad. He read the next steps before. So Nancy's always in the corner. And I think she's trying to control the thermostat, but it has a lockbox on it. <laughs> you'll be in Kansas, so you'll be in a whole other state. Um, so that's the challenge. So here, as they hand out the elements, um, take time. And I, I mean this. I, I'm kind of an imaginative guy. I do, I do mean it. Like, take time to imagine yourself sitting at the table with Jesus. And you're participating in a meal. What would you say to him? And what do you think he would say to you? And, and I heard a pastor say this years ago, and I, I think it's appropriate here. If you see anything but him um, smiling, you've got the wrong gospel. He would be smiling at you. In your sin, in your filth, 
in your mire, in your mistakes, he would smile at you. He is not standing up in heaven with a big baseball bat. And the reason I know that is because the baseball bat already swung and it landed on Christ. That's why the blood was shed. So he's looking at you at the table and he's smiling. What do you say to him? Take time to do that now.
as they wrap up, I want to read to you <clears throat> this last quote I have here. I'm not exactly sure where I got it, but uh, it's, when we feast on Christ, his body and blood, everything falls together. We will feed one another. That's why it's important as we pass the plate to one another. It's a picture of us feeding one another and giving each other the gospel. Not only will we feed one another, but we'll also feed our city, in our case, our town, Tahoe, generously from our bounty in Christ with our money, our time, our gifts, and our love. So come, be invited into repentance and the celebration of God's grace. Let's rejoice in Christ's body and blood, our common rescue and forgiveness, our common gospel, community, and mission. We share all of those things together. We share in Christ, but we share of the mission of Jesus. Many of you know John is stepping aside, and you know we've been praying, and we're in conversations with another gentleman about the possibility of coming and being a part of what we're doing. And he was asking me about coming and, and the possibility of having some of his people come over with him and stuff. And I said, hey, if, if they come, just know if they come, they're not, they're not coming to follow a man. They're not coming to follow you. They're coming to follow the mission that God's given us, which is for Matthew 28. Go into all the world. Proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ to every individual that there is. Teach all the commandments of the Lord. Put an emphasis on Scripture. It shares in that Matthew 28 passage all those things that we consider important. Follow Jesus. Make disciples. Do it for his glory. Do it with an attitude of being on his mission and teach his word. That's We share in that. We're on one big team together proclaiming the goodness of Jesus Christ. And I was sharing with them, every church should have some kind of mission statement that comes out of Matthew 28. It's what unites us. We're not here to entertain. You know what you don't really see on any of our advertisements? Come to Sierra Bible Church for an inspirational message. We're not given TED Talks. We're given the Word of God. And to Jesus we say thank you. Mm-hmm. Lord, thank you for your body given to us. Thank you for the fact that you have been the propitiation of our sins, Lord. You've been a wrath-bearing sacrifice, which we rightly deserve, but instead... You took all of the punishment upon yourself on our behalf. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your body broken and your blood shed for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may partake. His body broken. God bless you. Stand with us, if you will. We'll sing one more song. Have a great afternoon and a good week. Hey